music right here on VOA One, the hits. Welcome to Learning English, a daily 30-minute program from the Voice of America. I'm Ashley Thompson, and I'm Dan Novak. This program is designed for English learners, so we speak a little slower, and we use words and phrases, especially written for people learning English. On today's program. Katie Weaver tells us about the struggles facing shoe shining businesses in the United States. Later, Brian Lynn presents this week's science report. We close the show with the next part of our U.S. history series. But first, here is Katie Weaver. Penn Station Shoe Repair and Shoe Shine. Is a small shoe shining business in New York City. On a recent weekday, customers sat down at the shoe shine business and pulled out newspapers and phones to read while their shoes got shined. The shoe shiners cleaned the footwear and added an oily substance to protect the shoe's leather material. When finished, the customers paid eight dollars for the work. A sign hanging at the little business reads, "We're not God, but we do save souls." Shoe shining has a long history in the United States, dating back hundreds of years. But today, the tradition of getting a quick shine. Is weakening. Shoe shine stands are disappearing in cities and towns across the country. The COVID nineteen pandemic intensified the business decline. More people work from home than in the past, and it has become popular to wear more casual work clothes. All this means fewer customers. For shoe shining businesses, Nissin Kaimov owns the Penn Station stand. He said his stand would shine eighty to one hundred shoes each workday before the pandemic. Now it is between thirty to fifty from Tuesday to Thursday, and even fewer on Mondays and Fridays. The work-from-home model that is common across America is hurting his business. Until people come back to work, the problems will not be solved," said Kaimov. Rory Heenan is a 38-year-old accountant from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He said, as a young boy, he would take the train with his father. On his way to work, one Friday each month, and watch him get a shoe shine. I would just sit here as a little guy, you know, observing. He said, and here I am, you know, thirty years later, doing the same thing. So it's certainly something that's passed down over time. Across town, 
Hyrocardinus is also feeling the losses. Business at Alpha Shoes Repair Corporation is down 75% from before the pandemic. His business used to shine 60 or 70 shoes a day. Now, on a good day, he shines shoes for 10 to 15 customers. Shoe repairs generally bring in more money than shines. At David Mesquita's Leather Spa, which operates five shoe repair and shine businesses in the area, the repairs are the major part of its sales. But shoe shines are still an important offering to bring people in, as most shoe repair businesses do not have the service. Before the pandemic, Leather Spa had four shoeshine chairs at its business inside New York's Grand Central Terminal. It employed six shoeshiners. Together, they would complete about 120 shines a day. Now, there are three shoeshiners who do 40 or 50 shines a day at most. But Mesquita is seeing people slowly coming back. His December 2022 shoeshine numbers were up 52% compared with December 2021. Traffic is slowly coming back in. We're seeing the commuters come in and everything, but we're still not back 100% of what we were, Mesquita said. He added that shoe shining is not something that will ever fully go away. People like to treat themselves, he said, whether it's once a week or twice a week or, you know, once every two weeks. It's just nice. I'm Katie Weaver. European space officials have called for establishing a separate time zone on the moon. The European Space Agency, ESA, said the idea was discussed at a recent meeting held at the agency's Space Research and Technology Center in the Netherlands. ESA said the effort is part of a larger project to create a complete communication and navigation system for the moon. Space officials say such a system will be necessary to support a growing number of planned launches to the moon in coming years. A series of space operations around the moon will require spacecraft and controllers to communicate together and fix their positions independently from Earth, ASA said in a statement. Currently, moon operations run on the time of the country that launched the spacecraft. 
But ASA officials say this will have to change when more countries and private space companies start launching their own moon missions. ASA has partnered with the American space agency NASA on several planned lunar projects or missions. ASA helped build NASA's Orion spacecraft, which is expected to transport American astronauts back to the moon by the mid 2020s. NASA reported it was pleased with Orion's last uncrewed test mission late last year. ASA has also been involved in planning and development operations for a lunar project called Gateway. Private companies have been asked to develop living spaces called habitats for NASA and ASA as part of the Gateway project. NASA has described Gateway as a small spaceship that would remain in orbit around the moon. It would be designed as a living space for astronauts and as a laboratory for science activities. Gateway would give the astronauts a base for making trips to the moon and possibly in the future to Mars. Pietro Giordano is a navigation system engineer for ASA. He said after the issue was considered at the recent ASA meeting, a joint international effort is now being launched to establish a lunar time zone. ASA says the planned lunar communications and navigation systems will perform much better. If they employ the same timescale, along with the many other crewed and uncrewed missions they will support, NASA also had to deal with the time question while designing and building the International Space Station (ISS), which is nearing the 25th anniversary of the launch of its first piece. The ISS does not have its own time zone. Instead, it runs on Coordinated Universal Time, or UTC, which is based on time kept by atomic clocks. This helps ease the time difference between NASA and the Canadian Space Agency, as well as other space partners in Russia, Japan, and Europe. ASA says the international team looking at establishing a lunar time zone is debating whether a single organization should set and keep time on the moon. There are also technical questions to consider. For example, clocks run faster on the moon than on Earth, gaining about 56 microseconds each day, officials said. The exact difference depends on the position of the clock, and whether it is in orbit or on the lunar surface. One of the most important things to consider is whether separate lunar time will be helpful and effective for the astronauts working there," said ASA official Bernhard Hufenbach. This will be quite a challenge, Hufenbach said in a statement.
He noted that a day on the moon lasts as long as 29.5 days on Earth. Huffenbach added that after successfully establishing a working time system for the moon, we can go on to do the same for other planetary destinations. I'm Brian Lynn. Brian Lynn joins me to talk more about this week's science report. Thanks for joining me today, Brian. Sure, glad to be here, Ashley. Your report looked at possibly setting up a separate time zone for the moon. The European Space Agency is proposing this to improve operations for a number of planned missions to the moon in the coming years. This week, let's take a look at a few words from the report that may be new to English learners. Yes, so let's start with the word navigate. In the report, this term is used to describe navigation equipment to be built around the moon to help guide spaceships and lunar vehicles. A basic definition of navigate, a verb, would be to find the right direction for traveling by using maps or electronic equipment. A person could navigate using a number of different kinds of vehicles, cars, ships, spaceships, etc. It seems like the word is mostly used in connection with travel, but what other uses does it have? So another way it is used is to describe when someone is trying to get somewhere, but with great difficulty. In this case, someone might say, we had to navigate through terrible traffic. And in a similar way, one could use the word to describe moving through a hard or complex process. For example, one could navigate through a lengthy process of completing a difficult application on the Internet. Are there other terms you would like to discuss? Yes, there is one other notable word I would like to bring up, destination. This is quite a common term in English with a pretty simple meaning. It means the place where someone or something is going or being sent. Uh, in the report, it described other planetary destinations where time zones might be set up in the future, other than the moon. And the word has a few other meanings as well, which I would urge our listeners to explore, but I will leave it there for now. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Brian, and for explaining some of those vocabulary words. You're welcome. Thank you, Ashley. VOA Learning English has launched a new program for children. It is called Let's Learn English with Anna. The new course aims to teach children American English through asking and answering questions and experiencing fun situations. For more information, visit our website, learningenglish.voanews.com. 
Welcome to The Making of a Nation, American History in VOA Special English. The United States did not play a very large part in world events during the 1800s. At the beginning of the 1900s, however, it expanded its interests throughout the world. America's president at that time strongly supported the expansion. He was Theodore Roosevelt, a distantly related cousin of the future president, Franklin Roosevelt. Shirley Griffith and Frank Oliver complete the story of America's 26th president, who was also known as Teddy. Theodore Roosevelt became president in 1901 after the assassination of President William McKinley. He completed the last three years of McKinley's term. Then he was elected in his own right. Those four years are spoken of as Roosevelt's second term. It was during this second term that Roosevelt gained his most important foreign policy success. He negotiated an end to a war between Russia and Japan. Later, he was asked to settle another international dispute. At issue was Morocco. In 1904, France and Britain signed an agreement on North Africa. The agreement gave Britain control over Egypt. It gave France responsibility for security and reforms in Morocco. Germany opposed the agreement. It felt threatened by any French-British alliance and it feared France would block German trade ties with Morocco. Germany demanded an open-door policy that would permit all countries to trade freely in Morocco. It proposed an international conference to settle the dispute. France and Britain rejected the idea. The ruler of Germany Kaiser Wilhelm II warned that the dispute could lead to war. The Kaiser asked Theodore Roosevelt to intervene. President Roosevelt agreed to help. Some American lawmakers criticized him. They said it was an American tradition not to get involved in European disputes. But Roosevelt believed peace was more important than tradition. He set up the conference in the Spanish seaport of Algeciras. Twelve European nations and the United States attended. The conference agreed to an open-door trade policy in Morocco. It organized an international bank to control Morocco's finances. And it gave France and Spain almost complete control 
over police forces in Morocco's port cities. Theodore Roosevelt had become a powerful world leader. At home, however, he was losing power. One reason was an economic depression. Business leaders blamed it on Roosevelt. They said it was the result of his efforts to gain government control over industry. The other reason was one he had created himself. At that time, there was no law limiting a president's term in office. But America's first president, George Washington, had established a tradition of only two terms. When Theodore Roosevelt won the election of 1904, he announced he would not be a candidate in 1908. He had completed the term of President McKinley. He would serve a full term of his own. That was enough. Later, he said, I would be willing to cut off my hand if I could call back that statement. During his last year in office, Roosevelt was a lame duck president. Everyone knew he would not be back. There was little political reason to support him. He faced increased opposition from Congress and from his own Republican Party. His final message to Congress was extremely bitter. President Roosevelt accused Congress and the court system of working only to help rich Americans. He called for a tax on earnings. He called for legislation to give workers a greater share of the nation's wealth. The House of Representatives voted to reject the message. It said Roosevelt had failed to show respect for the legislative branch of government. Roosevelt refused to give up hope for the policies he believed America needed. He would not be able to fight for these policies himself, but he could find a presidential candidate who would. He was sure the people would vote for his choice. He decided on his close friend, Secretary of War, William Howard Taft. Taft had spent most of his life in government service. He had been a judge in both a state court and a federal court. He had been a lawyer in the Justice Department, and he had been governor of the Philippines. There was one problem, however. Taft did not want to be president. He really wanted to be Chief Justice of the United States. But there were no immediate openings on the Supreme Court. Also, his wife, his brothers, and his good friend, Theodore Roosevelt, urged him to run. So Taft agreed to be a candidate 
for the Republican presidential nomination in 1908. When he won the nomination, Taft said, Mr. Roosevelt led the way to reform. My job, if elected, will be to complete and perfect his programs. The Democratic Party nominated William Jennings Bryan. Bryan had been a candidate two times before without success. The presidential campaign was not especially exciting. William Howard Taft did not like being on the campaign trail. He was a big, heavy man. He did not like to travel. Roosevelt urged him to campaign with more energy. Hit hard, old man, Roosevelt said. Make the people see the truth. Let them know that, for all your gentleness and kindliness, there never existed a man who was a better fighter when the need arose. Roosevelt's advice and strong support helped Taft win a big victory on Election Day. A few weeks after Taft was sworn in as president, Roosevelt left on a year-long trip overseas. He spent most of the time hunting wild animals in Africa. President Taft wrote a warm goodbye letter to his friend. He promised to do his best as president. But he admitted he could not lead as Roosevelt had done. In fact, Taft said, he was still surprised when anyone called him Mr. President. Each time it happened, he turned around to see if Roosevelt was there. There was no question that Taft's way of leading was much different from Roosevelt's. Taft believed a president should not interfere too deeply in the actions of Congress. He also believed a president should not claim special powers or rights. He believed in the supreme power of the law, even if the law did not work very well. The progressives who had supported Roosevelt did not support Taft. They said he was too friendly with conservatives. They said he had surrendered to special interest groups. Taft, for his part, did not like progressives. He thought they were too emotional and extreme. Yet Taft worked hard to put into law many parts of Roosevelt's progressive programs. He was successful in several areas. During his administration, for example, a separate Department of Labor was established. Two constitutional amendments won congressional approval and were sent to the states for ratification. One amendment provided for a federal tax on earnings. The other provided for direct, popular election of senators. Taft also worked even harder than Roosevelt 
to break up companies or trusts that blocked economic competition. At the same time, Taft failed in several areas. He signed legislation that lowered import taxes. Neither businessmen nor progressive Republicans liked it. He negotiated a free trade agreement with Canada. The Canadian Parliament rejected it. He believed in protecting America's wilderness areas. Yet, he did not believe existing laws gave him the right to close public lands to private development. So he was seen as an enemy of conservation. These struggles and failures made Taft's four years as president the unhappiest of his life. The final blow came in an effort to reduce the powers of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. The Speaker was a conservative Republican. Progressive Republicans opposed him. The issue split the party. Theodore Roosevelt, far from home, read about the trouble. He had promised to stay out of politics. But each of the opposing groups in his party had asked for his support. And that's our program for today. Join us again tomorrow to keep learning English through stories from around the world. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm Dan Novak. <laughs>